Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Today on Searchlight, we are airing a classic teaching about the Word of God. This teaching is from a story in Judges chapter 3 about a very fat man named Eglon. This story is a great picture for us about sin and about the effect of the Word of God. Let's go ahead and get right to our study with Pastor John. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Would you say it with me so I won't forget it? Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. A simple truth that we've talked about a lot and we ought to know very well. In reality, though, many people are still confused about that. They feel as though God capriciously determines certain things to be verboten, forbidden. And because he declared those things are forbidden, that's why they're bad. Not so, not true. Our God is a loving father who cares about me and cares about you and wants us to prosper and do well. And so there are certain things that he knows will be destructive and detrimental. Certain things that he knows will cause pain and sorrow. And because of his great love for you, And his love for me. Our father says these things are to be avoided. I forbid them because they're bad. They're not bad because I forbid it. I forbid it because it will be heartbreaking and gut-wrenching and life-ruining for you. See, whether you sin or not, here's what you need to know. God's love for you, God's love for me is unconditional. He loves us. Whether we're walking tightly with the Lord or wandering away from the Lord. His love is unconditional. But the issue is, hey, if I wander away and get involved in sin, it's going to cause me pain and sorrow and sadness ultimately. And he's a father who is grieved, not grieved with me when I sin, but grieved for me. That's why the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not that he's grieved with me or mad at me. He's grieved for me. He's concerned about me. He knows what sin will do. He's a father. Just like like my son, Peter John, when we first moved up to the Little Applegate Valley, uh, he was a little toddler, a little guy. And that first springtime, Peter went out into the pasture where we were living at that time. 
out in the sticks and and I thought that he was going to go up to one of the cows that he was watching week after week through the sliding glass door that was there in the little cabin that we were in looking out over the pasture where the cows were grazing constantly. And I thought he was going to go find Daisy or Bessie or one of those cows and pet him. But that's not what he did. You've heard me tell the story. He went for the closest metal muffin he could find and he stuck his hand right in. Well, I went up to Peter John, who was a toddler who couldn't yet talk, and I said, no, Peter, no, no, no. And he looked at me, and his chin quivered a bit, and he walked away a couple of steps away from my direction and found another pasture patty and put both hands in. And he looked up at me rather defiantly as though, Daddy, you great big killjoy, you don't, you don't, no, you don't understand, you don't realize the, the ecstasy. And the joy and the pleasure, the sensation of warm cow patties going through your fingers and under your nails. Oh, you can squeeze it and touch it and mold it in the aroma and moisture. Oh, my daddy, such pleasure. Oh, oh, it's so grand. It's so glorious. See, that's what he thought as a little guy, as a toddler. But I had to go over there and take his hand and slap it and say, no, Peter, you're not going to put your hand in the metal muffin. No, no, no. He couldn't understand that as a little guy. He thought I was a great big meanie. But you know what? Now he agrees with me. As he's gotten older, (laughs) as life has unfolded, Peter John realizes, you know, Father, he knows best. Dad was right about that. I I agree now. You know, pasture patties, they're, they're not real cool. In fact, they stink. In fact, there's diseases and germs therein. There's problems. I'll get sick and I'll gross people out too if at 24 I have pasture patties all over me. He knows that to be true. And you see, now at this point, it's not that I have to check in his room, you know, go to his apartment and look under his bed and see, is Peter, do you have pasture patties stowed away someplace? See, no, he understands, and that's what life is for you and me spiritually. At first we say, how come I can't go there? How come I can't do that? Oh, that's legalistic. This is mean. But as you grow up and see life unfold, you come to the conclusion, gotcha. I see what that does, that thing that God has forbidden. Now I see what it does over the long haul. It makes people sick. It wipes people out. And it just plain is gross and stinky, ultimately. Now, most of us are learning that. Virtually all of us that have walked with the Lord for any length of time at all are learning observationally and experientially that sin does stink. It is dangerous and detrimental and damaging. It's not cool. Oh, the Bible does say to you and me, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And that's true. There is an initial ecstasy or or a joy initially. But after that comes destruction. So we're learning. Lord, got it. 
Your ways are right. You love me to death and you care about me so passionately. You died to pay the price for my sin. It's forgiven. It's washed away. But not only am I redeemed by your blood, but you want to sanctify me, set me apart, make me free day after day from those things that would damage and defile and destroy me and my family. But how does that happen? Most of us at times realize that, yes, I want to be free from that stuff, but frankly, this sin, this issue is a huge, huge, huge battle for me. It demands and it, and it, it dictates my, my thoughts and my activities. Oh, certain things are no problema, but, but there's an issue or two that I always seem to be struggling through. Or succumbing to. What can I do about the big sin? The heavyweight stuff. Oh others might not know. I might have it covered fairly well. Others might not be all that aware. But I know within my soul. That there is an issue. There is an oppressive weight. There is a sin that seems to dominate. What can I do? If there's such a thing in your life. Or if you've ever wrestled with a specific sin, and I think all of us have, all of us do. Here's good news for me, good news for you. Check this out. Our story deals with just that. Take a look with me at Judges chapter 3. They were oppressed and in bondage to a real heavyweight His name, well, we'll see. The children, verse 12, of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. God's children, the Israelites, the Jewish people, did evil in his sight. That is, what they were doing was heartbreaking to the father because his children were putting their hands in the meadow muffins, so to speak, in the pasture patties, if you would. They were involved in evil, and God knew what that would do. It would destroy them. And so God is going to do something here to bring correction for them. The Lord, verse 12 says, strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. God is raising up the Moabite king, whose name was Eglon, To be an instrument of discipline, of chastening. That is, God's kids are going to get spanked, disciplined, because they keep plunging into sin. And God's heart is broken concerning his children, knowing what sin will do to them. In the book of Hebrews, it says to you and me, that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. I'm reading, don't turn there, just mark it if you wish. Hebrews 12, 6, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That means spanks. And he scourges every son. If you be without chastisement, then you are bastards and not sons at all. God loves you and me so much that if we get out of line, he will chasten us. He will spank us. He will scourge us. He will discipline us. If you're here today and you say, hey, I'm doing what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, and hey, I'm not getting disciplined. I'm not getting spanked. I've got terrible news for you. It means that you are spiritually a bastard. 
You are illegitimate. You are not a true son or daughter of God. If you are getting away with sin continually and not being dealt with and being chastened, don't rejoice in that, but may it cause you to be very concerned today because what the Bible says is it's an indication that you're not one of his children. When my kids get out of line, I spank them when they were little and growing up or ground them when they got older. I don't do that with the neighborhood children. They're not my problem, so to speak. I've got my five that I am in charge of, that I am responsible to raise up. I don't go down the street and looking for kids that are talking back or not doing what they're not supposed to and take out the wooden spoon and paddle them or give a lecture to them. It's not my responsibility. They're not my children. And so too God says, I will deal with my children. If they're out of line, I love them, and so I will bring discipline and scourging to them because I want to protect them from further danger from further destruction. If anyone is listening in this amphitheater or down by the burger thing or over the hill or over the airwaves and you say, I'm sinning and it doesn't seem to cause any repercussions for me, be careful. It could be that you are not a child of God at all. And should your life end today, you would not be in heaven. You would be separated from him eternally. Well, be that as it may, God cared about his kids. So he strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab. Now for you Bible students, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9, God says to the Israelites, his kids, do not mess with the Moabites. I have given them that land for their possession. You are not to meddle with them or cause distress to them. Listen, the Moabites, God says to his kids, don't bother them. They're not my children. Don't distress them. Let them do whatever they choose to. Don't go into their territory. They're in a whole different category, you see. So here God, with his kids now, is raising up a Moabite, the king of the Moabites, named Eglon. What a great name. It describes him perfectly. He's shaped like a giant egg. He's the only man in the Bible who's called a very fat Man, this guy is huge. Now, we're not talking overweight by a couple hundred pounds. We're talking, well, Jabba the Hutt. If you happen to see Star Wars, remember Jabba? Blah. I mean, this guy is gigantic. We're not talking heavy or fat. We're talking beyond obese. We're talking planet. We're talking his own zip code. We're talking Jabba the Hutt. You see, this guy is giant. He's the only guy in the Bible who's ever singled out as being a fat man. He was very fat. Now, this guy, Eglon, raised up or allowed by the Lord to be the instrument of discipline for God's children who were getting into trouble again. So, Eglon, what does he do? He was raised up, verse 13, and he, Eglon, gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, the Ammonites and the Amalekites, two other nations that were perpetual enemies of the people of Israel. And Eglon 
led the Moabites, his people, and the Ammonites, and the Amalekites, all enemies of Israel, and went up and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. The city of palm trees is Jericho. If you go to Jericho, and we do every time we go to Israel, it's an oasis town. It's got springs that come up and and trees that are beautiful and vegetation all around. It's a grand town there in the desert area down by by the Dead Sea area. Jericho. Interesting. That's the place that Eglon took. He got his allies together, the Ammonites and the Amalekites, along with his group, the Moabites, and they spanked Israel and they took over the city of Jericho. Why? I suggest to you because Eglon wanted some fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, Jericho was the place where, hey, food was growing, where there was an abundance of stuff to eat continually. Around the calendar year, you see, always stuff to eat, burgers and french fries and shakes and what have you. So the children, verse 14 of Israel, served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Eglon is dominating their country, this great big job of the hut character. He's dictating over God's children, has domination there in Israel, ruling from Jericho. After 18 years, verse 15 says, finally, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They had enough. 18 years of being dominated by this fat guy. 18 years of this guy controlling and dictating and dominating them. Enough is enough. And finally, they cry to the Lord. And that's what happens to you and me. We're his children. But The thing that comes into our lives, the thing that we've allowed to be enthroned in our hearts, that sin, that stuff, that thing, it begins to dominate. And finally, after time, you say like they did that day, enough, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this junk. I'm sick of this sin. And you too, Like me, like they did in this story, you cry out to the Lord in sincerity. No longer is it just an occasional, Lord, I know this isn't very good, forgive me. But rather, Lord, I can't stand this. It's got to go. This this fat, oppressive sin, this heavyweight thing, this Eglon that dominates over me. They cry to the Lord. You get to that place of finally crying, and that's when the father begins to move, you see. Like there at the kitchen table when I was growing up, we would sit there around the table, and I was little and, and oh, maybe like six or seven or so, and my sister Nikki was about ten. She sat next to me. Jimmy was three, and my brother Dave, oh, he was about 12 or 13. And we'd be sitting there eating our spaghetti, meal after meal, and then I could just, oh, I can't explain it. I could just feel underneath the table, from across the table, my brother pointing his finger at me underneath the table. I just knew it. I could sense it. It was burning a hole through my gut. And I would peek, and I'd see the finger there pointing at me. And I'd say, Mom, Dave's pointing at me. (laughs) Dave, cut that out, she would say. I'm 
Dave would just kind of throw up his hands like this, and we'd have some more spaghetti. But ten minutes later or so, I could feel the finger once more burning a hole through my gut. I knew it was there. Sure enough, there it was once again. Mom, Dave is pointing at me. Johnny, just ignore him. Eat your spaghetti. Come on now, Dave. He would just do this kind of thing, you know, eat away. This would go on three, four, five times, finally in total frustration. Mom, Dave is pointing at me. And she would, my mom would put her fork down or whatever. That's it, she would say. John, just eat your spaghetti. Dave, to your room. Victory. (laughs) He was cast out into darkness. Sent away and banished for that meal anyway. And and, and that's the idea here, see? There comes a point when you truly say, this has got to stop. I can't go on. This mustn't continue anymore. A lot of people, frankly, a lot of times we don't see deliverance because we're not really desperate in desiring to see victory. We, we, we feel bad about getting caught or we think this probably ought not to be. But there comes a moment in a man's life, in a woman's life, when a person finally says, that is enough. It's got to go. And finally, when they cried, it says to the Lord, they cried to him in sincerity, in intensity, in desperation. The Lord says, okay. And he raised up Ehud, the son of Gera. Verse 15 goes on to say, a Benjamite. The word Benjamin means son of my right hand. The right hand in Hebrew culture and Bible days, the right hand was the symbol of authority and strength and ability and power. And this guy, he was a Benjamite, Ehud was. But the problem was, verse 15 goes on to say he was a man what? Left-handed. Uh-oh. His name means son of my right hand, you know. He's a Benjamite. But he was a lefty. He was a southpaw. Now, it could be that he was born just being a southpaw. It could also equally be that he was handicapped, that his right arm, his right hand, as the margin of your Bible says, was shut out or shut up. That is, it could be that he was a handicapped person. But either way, whether he was born left-handed or whether he lost the use of his right hand, it was an enigma. Here's a guy whose name means son of my right hand, and yet he is a lefty. He must have thought, this is a mistake. How could it be that me, I'm a Benjamite, but look at me. I'm a left-handed guy. This doesn't make sense. And sometimes you, sometimes we look at ourselves and say, this just isn't right, Lord. You made a mistake when you made me this way with my big nose or my too brash personality or my shyness or my shortness or my tallness or whatever it might be we look at how we are designed and sometimes we say oh lord you made a mistake with me why didn't you make me more whatever it is that you wish that you were more of he felt that way no doubt growing up day after day feel that way? Do you think in some way God made a mistake with you? Ehud probably felt that way too, but God is about to reveal one reason why he made Ehud the way he did. Please join us next time as this reason is revealed and we get an important lesson on how to deal with sin. We'll see you then.
This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. We all go through challenging times in our lives, but we are not alone in these times. We have a faithful and loving God who walks with us day by day to help us explore the faithfulness of God in these difficult times. Pastor John has made a book available called A Future and a Hope. In this book, John shares some of his personal experiences in dealing with tragedies, including the death of his young wife and later the death of his 16-year-old daughter. As John relates his own stories, we see a God who is faithful and compassionate at all times. A future and a hope is especially comforting for those who are currently experiencing tragedy or loss in their life. If you would like this book for yourself or someone you know, you can order it from our website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is an independent ministry that is not financially supported by any church or organization. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.